2: Muslim teenagers face many challenges. A myth is peddled that following Islam makes life difficult and they'll be happier if they were less religious. Let's face it, sometimes being a practising Muslim can seem like mission impossible. Sin is exciting and Islam is so boring. But rather than reject religion, I want to offer a new point of view. In my book, Smart Teenage Muslimer. I invite girls to look at the ideas and behaviours that wider society expects them to embrace and decide whether they are good for their mental health and well-being. Concepts such as self-obsession, rampant consumerism and feminism. Also, what tools exist in the Quran and Sunnah to help you dream big and be a confident Muslimah? In this thought-provoking guide, you will discover guidance from our sacred texts to achieve peace of mind understand the purpose of your life, learn what Islam has to say about puberty and sex and get the facts about LGBTQIA plus and gender identity. So if you're a smart teenage Muslimah whose goal is to succeed in this life and attain Jannah in the next, this book is for you. Inshallah to find out more visit www.smartmuslimah.com. The book is now available to buy on Amazon and Google Playbooks. As-salamu alaykum no. Jazakallah khair for coming on to the show. Wa'iaki, it's my pleasure. Alhamdulillah. Uh, so before we begin, could I ask you to just maybe explain a little bit about
1: yourself and, um, yeah, and what, what you do in America? Sure. Um, so the first thing I like to tell people, first and foremost, is that I am not a scholar. I am not an ustaza. And... Um, I don't even identify as an activist. I'm just an ordinary Muslim sister who is grappling with a lot of the issues that other Muslim sisters are grappling with. And um, to the extent that I can share what I'm learning, I'm happy to do so. Um, I guess you could say I have started to gain somewhat of a public platform when I began my podcast back in 2015. It no longer exists. but um, there, I tried to have conversations with Muslims and Arabs, uh, within the United States and Canada about a lot of these taboo topics, one of them being feminism. Um, and for anyone who's interested in learning more about my background and, um, what I've been doing, they can go to my website, um, and read up there. Uh, but what's the name of your website? It's noormgoda.com. N o u r m goda.com. By trade, I'm a teacher. I have taught middle and high school for the last 10 years. I was an administrator as well, and I have a background in Montessori. Um, and in my spare time, like I said, I'm reading and researching and writing about these issues. And for whatever reason, I'm often asked to discuss my views um, and understanding of feminism as it relates to Muslim women
2: well that's how I came across you that I was doing research I wanted to educate myself on the topic of feminism and how it relates to Islam and um I must admit it was a, it was a little bit hard to find um someone who could explain what feminism was in a nice easy to understand and practical way so that's why I wanted to have you as a guest to, so you could share your knowledge and experience with the listeners um so If if you, I guess the first question would be that, um, how would you explain feminism,
1: um, in society today? Sure. Well, jazakallahu khairan for, um, having faith in my ability to do so. I will do my best. It's not always easy to explain because this is such a dense and, and complex, um, topic, um, the, the reality is that there is no one agreed upon definition of feminism, even among feminists themselves. Um, depending on which feminist you're talking to, they will give you their you know, taste of what feminism means to them. And in large part, that's because there have been different waves of feminism throughout the last century. But the sort of generally agreed upon broad statement is that it is the movement for equal rights for women. That is the most, you know, uh, generally agreed upon definition that I have found. Um, And for the sake of this podcast, I just want to sort of orient the audience to how we're going to go about this conversation. I know that there are very urgent questions that sisters are eager to ask, like, you know, why are there gender roles in Islam? Why do men have more power? Why do I have to answer to my husband? All of these sort of uh, more pragmatic questions. And inshallah, we will get to those questions. But in order to effectively have a conversation relating to those questions, we really need to flesh out the history of how we got here. We really need to understand um, sort of the framework that we're operating within in order to answer these questions. So while feminism has its slogans and its catchphrases and it's, you know, one sentence answers to everything, which in my opinion is very much a sign of hubris. (laughs) Um, I don't have those one statement answers. And that's because Islam doesn't have those answers um, in the way that we have been trained to digest those kinds of answers. Mm -hmm. Um, The Quran and the hadith, Give us a worldview, a complete system for how to live harmoniously and peacefully and how to attain justice on earth. And we always have to go back to this idea that we cannot cherry pick instances and grievances and say this is just or unjust. We have to look at it within the scope of the entire worldview, the entire framework, the why. How did, you know, why does Allah decree the following for us? Why does it make sense that? men have these duties and responsibilities and women have these duties and responsibilities. So I know that it's going to take a little bit longer for us to get to the uh, questions, but inshallah, sisters and brothers will walk away with a somewhat more thorough understanding. Okay, so the first thing that I want us to understand is that we're going to talk about feminism based on the definition that we just agreed upon, that it is a movement to get equal rights for women, okay? Now, we cannot take these words for granted. We cannot assume that we have the same understanding of what equal rights is. We can't even agree (laughs) that women's rights is what we should be seeking in the first place because according to feminism in the Western world, the UK, the US, Canada, and other first world countries, women's rights means women being able to do whatever men do Mm -hmm. women's rights in islam does not mesh with this definition okay the way that god has uh decreed for women to attain their rights and what those rights are are very different from what the west tells us is women's rights And I'll be going back and forth between saying the West and uh, secular, the secular uh, paradigm. And paradigm here just means worldview, the the framework, the way that we um, perceive the world and what morality is and what immorality is. So the moment we begin to engage with this definition of feminism, we have agreed to adopt wholesale its history, its language, its terms, its definitions, its values, what it deems to be moral and what it deems immoral. And what we find is that oftentimes those sets of values do not, uh, they do not, they're not compatible with what Islam tells us our values should be. Does that make sense so far?
2: Yes. um, So what you're saying is that feminism, it's, um, it's basically a, a, godless idea yeah it's not based on belief in god so therefore straight away it's got a it's got a different foundation to islam so therefore but we do need to
1: understand where what are the roots of feminism yes i'm saying that to an extent so not every wave of feminism i wouldn't say every wave of feminism was godless in its most superficial sense because um, you know, certainly, first wave feminists would say that they are practicing Christians. Oh, okay. Um, but for our purposes today, where feminism looks more intersectional, and we'll, we can talk about what that means in a moment, um, and it is often conflated with the uh, LGBTQ movement. You you almost cannot separate feminism from that uh, social justice movement. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think you could more easily make the argument that feminism does not answer to a higher power or a Mm -hmm. higher authority. Yeah. Right, yeah. So um, one of the reasons why uh, it doesn't make sense to call ourselves feminists as Muslims is because if you study the history of feminism and you study the works of Muslim women who identify as feminists, you see that they themselves don't they themselves are pointing out the incompatibility? Um, and I'm, I'm trying not to get into mentioning specific names here, um, but many of the prominent Muslim feminists out there advocate for the rejection of hadith, they advocate for the rewriting or reinterpretation of the Quran. And so in that way, you're not actually proving that Islam and feminism are compatible. What you're saying is that they're incompatible. And what we need to do is we need to reform Islam, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's the, the, the bottom line. That's the, the, the main problem right there. But historically speaking, feminism was not a movement that affected the Muslim world. It began in the 19th century, in the late 1800s, in Europe and in the United States, where women were fighting for the right to vote, okay? And they were fighting for the right to have certain property rights. Mm -hmm. These are things that did not pertain to Muslim women. When the Quran came down, um, it it made very clear what women's rights were as far as finances and economics within her marriage are concerned it made very clear a woman's role in the pr- in the private and in the public spheres what's permissible and what's impermissible and so as women in the west were fighting for their rights we were not concerned with that because mm-hmm. we very clearly understood where where our uh, responsibilities and our duties rested if mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah. it isn't until the colonial era when a lot of these uh, ideas, feminism being one of them, were imported into the Muslim world from European colonizers, that's when we began to, the the, the process of confusion began there. Mm -hmm. And then now with many of us growing up in the West, that confusion has just become exponentially uh, inflated. And so that's why I think so many sisters are confusing women's rights with feminism we have to understand that feminism doesn't have a monopoly on women's rights it is one way Mm -hmm. of perceiving the issues that exist today where women are oftentimes not always and not all women are oftentimes oppressed by men not all men some men um and you know islam has its point of view, its worldview of how to rectify these injustices. Mm-hmm. I think
2: the issue we face in, in 2019 is that feminism is now uh, marketed and um, conveyed to all women as it's a good thing, it's a solution to your problems that you should positively identify as a feminist. That the, the ideas that are now connected to, like feelings that are connected to feminism, you know words like it's empowering your um it's positive it's a good thing and that to say you're not a feminist is now people seen as strange um so how has feminism managed to get such a good you know uh i don't know how to put it you know it's like propaganda that it's managed to convince everyone
1: that it's a good thing well first and foremost um feminism is an offshoot of a worldview that it's, it's an option of the secular liberal worldview so let's explain what that means when we say secular we're talking about the separation of technically church and state right um, that religion is something to be practiced in the privacy of one's home and that it has no place in the public sphere um, and that everybody has the equal right to practice their religion in the privacy of their home um, when we're talking about liberalism, we're talking about ultimately in, in how it affects us today is this idea that everybody is right in their own truth, right? So you can believe what you want to believe. And that truth is equally as valid as somebody else's truth. In theory, it sounds nice, right? It it sounds very equitable and equal even, Hmm. but when it comes to practice, we, we're stepping on one another's toes. We find that there is it's a little bit muddier in, in that sense because um, you're going to run into the situation where at times some, one person's truth is going to contradict your truth. And then there is going to oftentimes be a violation of religious freedom or your ability to practice you know, your faith in public. So, if my truth as an atheist is that you know God doesn't exist, and you should not be able to, um, you know, impose that on me, I could see your public display of the hijab as a affront on my rights. Mm-hmm. And you, as a Muslim woman wearing hijab, could see my view as an atheist as an affront on your rights. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. secular liberalism tells us that everybody's truth is equally valid um you know anything goes it's very relativistic it's very in the moment in the here and now and it's very individualistic and it doesn't answer to any higher authority right it's the it's the human being in his particular lifespan who decides what is moral and what is immoral Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i guess that's the the crux of it isn't it that if feminism comes from human beings men and well here it's women mainly who are deciding what's right what's what what even what is a woman's right so you know when i think the way that um you know it's a woman's right to abort the fetus if she does not want to have that baby if it doesn't fit in with her life she doesn't even actually have to give a reason anymore and straight away as a muslim woman that contradicts our belief in when you can abort a child a little fetus you know so it's, um, I guess, it, as Muslim women, we really do need to, and that's the whole purpose of this discussion as well, is to dig a bit deeper beyond the slogans that we're given, beyond the <coughs> quotes on Pinterest that we read that make us feel nice and make us sound that all us
1: women, we're in it together. But in reality, that's, it's not true. We need to acknowledge sort of why Muslim sisters are hopping on the feminist bandwagon. Yeah. First and foremost, there are legitimate and valid grievances within the Muslim community, right? That yeah. women do face injustice and, and oppression um, in their lives, not all women. Again, this I, I have to stress this point because if we're going to argue that it's all women facing injustice, that means it's all men inflicting injustice and therefore there is a patriarchy this system of men you know who have designed a world in which they sit in positions of power um, and render women completely powerless but in islam we are taught that men have duties and responsibilities women have duties and responsibilities we are not taught that men have power and women have power power belongs to god Mm -hmm. end of the day okay and it is god who decides and has decided what our roles and our responsibilities are and how we should avoid transgressing um you know those those boundaries Mm -hmm. but because we are human beings we are not infallible we're flawed and we do see within the muslim community instances of transgression we do see instances of women being oppressed at the hands of men and women, not just men, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so in those instances, what are we doing? Are we turning to our Islamic tradition to guide us and to help us rectify the matter? Or are we turning to Western ideologies and worldviews like feminism to save us? (laughs) In many ways, we're behaving like, the uh, groups that colonized us, that told us our way th- or their way of doing things is the more progressive and advanced and civilized way. Mm-hmm. And we are now saying to them, we need you. We need your ideologies. We need your worldviews. We need your um, methods and tools to save us from our oppressive Islam. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what we're doing when we're turning to feminism. Mm -hmm. Even if we're saying we're feminists, even if we're calling ourselves Muslims and we wear hijab, if we don't understand our deen and we're not living it the way that um, Allah has decreed and the way the Prophet alayhi salam has modeled for us, then we're we're falling short and we're actually just turning to um, secular worldviews, godless worldviews to help us in Mm -hmm. seeking justice. So I do empathize with our sisters who... um, you know, are looking for solutions for their everyday problems. What I want to encourage them to do is to hold these men and women accountable using the Quran and the Hadith. Always go back to Allah because mm-hmm. that is the only way that you are going to attain justice at all. It mm-hmm. is not through looking, um, you know, to other men and women to help you to do that because they themselves are fallible.
2: Yeah. And and it makes me think that when, like, for example, what you've just said is that um, our solution to our problems as women or as men co- co- goes back to returning to grant and sunnah. However, what we're told by feminists and even um, prominent Muslim feminists is that if we um, work for equality in society, so whether it's through political representation, so in the UK, for example, um we had theresa may as the prime minister so she reached the top so you could say you know she reached it even in pakistan with benazir Bhutto, this is a while ago she became prime minister you had sheikh hasina in bangladesh you've had we've had female leaders in the world in many different countries right and i haven't seen that the situation of the women okay i'm from pakistan so i know particularly about when benazir Bhutto was in charge she was as corrupt as every other previous Muslim leader of Pakistan. If not, she embezzled the country and then left. She st- and then her husband became prime minister. He did it as well. So this idea, based on just facts and reality, getting women in power
1: doesn't make the life of women better. Precisely. Precisely. It's the, it's the false notion, the false claim, which we have, you know, come to accept that, based on our shared bio- biology, based on our shared sex or our, you know, shared race or whatever, not that race is biological, um, but based on these characteristics that we can seek justice. I mean, President Obama yes. <laughs> held office for two terms and what happened afterwards, the Black mm. Lives Matter movement, yes. you know, exploded. So it is not necessarily the case that more representation will lead to justice. What will lead to justice is having a very clear compass and a very clear vision of what society, a healthy society, looks like, and that's what we find in the Quran, and that is what we find through the lived example of the Prophet Mm -hmm. So when we have those two things as our, um, you know, zenith as our guiding star, then we have a very clear view of what we should be working towards. That isn't based on random, you know random things like our shared biology or the fact that we are of the same race or the same socioeconomic background. Um, because human beings are fallible. We know this. We know that we are um, susceptible to corruption.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. And on your website, <coughs> there, your one of your most recent articles was, um, it was titled, um, Raise Your Gaze, The Modest Fashion Industry and Muslims desperation for mainstream representation now could could you um inshallah encourage everyone to go and read um the article it's i'll put a link in the in the description um but what made
1: you feel the need to write that article sure so that post on my website is actually an excerpt of a longer monograph that i'm working on and inshallah it'll be done soon um and i'll have it up there but it's about the modest fashion industry as a whole. Um, And what inspired me is really this, um, the pop culture of, uh, you know, hijabis and hijabi fashionistas and bloggers and bloggers and um, seeing the hijab being commodified and sexualized and politicized um, in our era in large part by millennials and centennials. And so I started to think a lot about this. It, it took, it's taken me two or three years to really digest what's been going on. And I've been trying to stay up to date on the news and, and the happenings. And one of the things that um, I try to do in this uh, essay is to demonstrate how the hijab has been stripped of its religious roots and what it has been replaced by. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) what I have shared so far is um, the way that it's been. um...
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Commodified and how the entire industry breeds exorbitant consumerism. Mm-hmm. In that we are encouraged to take part in you know, our capitalist society that tells us to spend, 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 and as Muslims, we don't, I don't hear us talking enough about why this is problematic, why this is un-Islamic.
2: Yes. Um, Yes.
1: That it's, I mean, I was, yesterday, I was at the mall with my husband, and I walked into Sephora, and I'm not joking, nine out of 10 women in there were sisters in hijab.
2: Oh, okay. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I am in Northern Virginia, and there are a lot of Muslims here. But nevertheless, there's just this culture of.
2: Um, sorry, women. sorry. What kind of shop is Sephora? I don't think I. Oh, heard it's of. a
1: makeup. It's a makeup. Oh, it's makeup.
2: Okay, wait. Yes,
1: yes. And you know, it. It's just it's everywhere, and if you sit down with a young Muslim sister, most likely you will find that they're aware of who the stars of the uh, hijab fashion world are, yes. who the sisters on YouTube are, on Instagram. Hmm. They're, yeah. they're celebrities. They're, <laughs> they're treated like celebrities and they're role models. More importantly, they're taken for role models by younger uh, Muslim girls. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that I, I don't know how
2: long you've been, when, when you started covering, but again, I've we. Re- I, I've okay, it's been maybe 20 odd years for me and the evolution of hijab and the way I is is just to, you know, two years ago, three years it really started shocking me what I was seeing. And mm. I think this is um <clears throat> like I didn't know how to I, I just couldn't understand. I was kept thinking why? Why are they not wearing it properly? Why is it so? It's becoming, like you said, very provocative and very sexualized. And now it's, you know, that they the, this, the, you know, it, the, it's there really. It's not here. And I just, I just thought, why go? Why would anyone go to so much trouble to even bother wearing it? Um, and the thing is, I'll tell, and I know so many mums my age who have teenage girls. They just don't know what to do. They don't know what. Some have just given up. They'll they'll end up thinking well at least she's not wearing a mini skirt that that's what ends up happening it's like the lesser of the two evils that you know at least she's not you know she may be wearing a you know full face of makeup but at least she you know it's at least she you know she might be wearing skin tight jeans at least
1: she's wearing jeans you know yeah. Um, Unfortunately, this is, like I said, I'm writing a monograph on this. It's going mm-hmm. on 30 something pages now. So it's <laughs> way more dense than I can get into here, but yeah. um, you are right to bring up this topic in a conversation on feminism because yes. it definitely um, is influenced by the movement that says my body, my choice, my hijab, my choice. Um you know, the movement that says, uh, I'm an independent woman, I don't need a man. Um, that, you know, just all of these slogans, all mm. the slogans that we're, we've grown accustomed to hearing when we think about women's power and women's empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as what we can do as mothers for the sake of our daughters, there, there are a few things all under the following umbrella, I think we need to create the conditions that will ensure our daughters are proud to be Muslim. Because what I sincerely believe and what I sincerely am seeing is weakness in falling prey to the non-Muslim worldview, in large part because we have low self-esteem about our Islamic identity. Mm -hmm. We have imbibed, we have soaked up the Media's portrayals of Muslims as antiquated, outmoded, barbaric, uncivilized, stuck in the past, very traditional, misogynistic, etc. You know, the list goes on. Not only do non Muslims see Muslims this way, Muslims themselves see themselves this way. Mm -hmm. So, how can we be shocked then if young Muslim girls are wearing hijab the way that they are? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's the that is just symptomatic of a deeper issue. The deeper issue being that we don't understand our deen, we don't know it, and we understand Western ideas way more than we understand the Quran and the Islamic tradition. And we are way better versed to defend ideas like feminism, right, than we are to discuss any ayah of the Quran or any hadith. And so Because of those reasons, we find ourselves on the outside modeling and mimicking and behaving in ways that are palatable and digestible to the secular non-Muslim in our society. Mm -hmm. Now, why wear the hijab at all, right? If we are so uh, ashamed of our Islamic background. Mm -hmm. Well, because right now we live in a time in which Muslims and the Muslim identity, as we will call it, is being praised by, in large part, the feminist, LGBTQ, secular, liberal worldview that says everybody is equal. Everybody is, you know, um, important. Now, on the surface, that is true, and that is valid. The problem is that we are, I'm trying to figure out how to break this down um, in simple terms. The dilemma here is, again, the relativist approach that says anything goes, everything goes. If I'm going to accept you as a Muslim, you have to accept me as a gay man. You have to accept me as a feminist, etc., etc. And so there's the compromise there. And by accept, we don't just mean tolerance and, and treating people as equal human beings, which you should do anyway as a Muslim we're saying you need to support and advocate for these things that necessarily go against your faith, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So again, we need to create the conditions that are going to ensure that our children are proud to be Muslims. There's two, that's a two-pronged approach. The first uh, thing that we need to do as parents is we need to take pride in our faith first and foremost. It came as a shock to me to find that Many Muslim moms and dads are themselves saying things that perpetuate this very skewed and very denigrating view of Islam and and Muslims. They themselves oftentimes are not really that proud to be Muslims. And so whether we realize it or not, our children pick up on these things in in our day-to-day lives. So let's begin with ourselves. In Another sense, we also, I think as parents, even when we are proud of our Muslim background and, and proud of being born Muslims, we're not always consistently modeling what a Muslim should behave as. We're not modeling the Prophet's example. We sometimes impose our cultural norms, be they Arab, Pakistani, whatever. Um, we impose cultural norms that Islam rejects, and then we call it Islam, and we backbite. And we go through the motions of praying and fasting and giving zakat. But when it comes to how we speak to each other, when it comes to our shared humanity, when it comes to showing empathy and patience and respect, we fall short. We fall severely short. And we leave people feeling like, well, I don't want Islam. If that's mm-hmm. Islam, look at, look at the most pious you know, Muslim woman in my community she's gossiping all the time about other sisters. I don't want Islam, if that's supposed to be a righteous Muslim woman. Um, so we're, we're, we're negatively modeling Islam. Mm-hmm. And of course, when it comes to feminism, how many of us Muslim mothers are asking ourselves, are we proud to be mothers and wives, stay-at-home moms? Many of us have internalized these uh, ideas that, oh, well, we're just wives. We are just moms. Those, those are not really important roles. So if we believe that, if we're feeling that way, why would, our, why would we expect our daughters to think or feel anything else outside of that? So those are things that we first need to get right with before we can do anything for our children. Once we've done that, then I think we need to educate ourselves as the leaders of the education and the rearing of our children. What are our daughters learning in school? Who are they surrounded by most of the day? Who are their peers? And who are their teachers and mentors? I don't know what your experience, um, Farhad, has been, but I've been shocked as a teacher to see sometimes the conversations that transpire between teachers and students and the things that they say to them. You know, during the lunch break or, you know, before class begins or after class is over, you know, it's like you're not their parent and you're telling them things, you're advocating for things that their parent would not be happy with. Um, So we need to know who our children are being educated by. We also need to keep them close. We need to be paying attention to them at all times. That means, once again, we need to get off of our phones, we need to turn off the TV, and we need to engage with our children ask yourself, keep a journal throughout the day, how much time do you spend cleaning the home, cooking, talking on the phone with your sister, with your friends, um, you know, flipping through social media, spending time on your career, whatever it is, how much time do you spend doing that versus sitting down with your child while she is on the computer, sitting down with your child over a cup of tea? and having a conversation with her about school, about her friends, about what's on her mind. We need to be our children's friends so that they take us for friends as opposed to the peers outside. And when I say that, I don't mean, you know, we need to be friends with them in the sense that, um, you know, we should bend our rules and, Mm -hmm, and, you mm -hmm. know, submit our authority. But we need to develop loyalty with our children. We need to hang on to them because when they feel connected to us, their loyalty rests with us. When they feel more connected to their friends, their loyalty will rest with their friends. And that's just the way that it is because the human um, condition is such that we need to connect. We need to feel connected to others. So we have to step in and play more active, proactive roles as parents and, stop seeing our duty as merely putting food on the table and sheltering them and you know taking them to the masjid on the weekends so that they learn quran those are all important things but the the, the free time throughout the day is is being um ignored and i think that's where the loopholes are and where children are getting away from us
2: mm-hmm like i think you just spoke so much sense there and i really hope that the um you know everyone listening that I think that um, advice <coughs> having had you know I've I've got three teenage kids two boys and a girl and Gosh. it's um especially with your daughters like it's it, what happens once you become a parent once your kids become teenagers it's so easy to just criticize them and that could be maybe because the way we were you were raised you know the way we were raised that our parents criticised us a lot. Okay, that's fine. That happened. Um, but the point is, when we see them doing something wrong, in the same way, when I do something wrong, do I want to just be shouted at? Do I want to be told off? Or if someone sits me down and talks to me about it, I'm, again, I'm, like you said, we don't change Islam to make them happy and make them think we're cool, because that's the point. That's what the teachers, that's what teachers try to be. They try to be cool. They're that's always it. It'd always be those cool teachers who would let them eat food in uh, the classroom and be on their phone. And that is, so I, I, I let my students eat. <laughs> oh, you know what? The thing is in, it's, I think UK schools, <coughs> well in UK schools, they, we all have, they all have to wear uniform. They don't wear a uniform in high school. I think in, in UK, it's just a little bit, they've got more rules. Um, mm. However, so going back to what I was saying, that yeah, spending time with your children, it's, i know parents find it hard and the teen our teenage teens can be so stroppy and so mouthy and so ungrateful and we think i just can't i haven't got the energy for this but but then we can't complain when they don't wear their hijab properly we can't complain when they right. don't want to follow islam if we right then, but then alhamdulillah the, the upside is the reward unless there's we're you know our the amount of reward we get for doing like for example you know about the reward for just staying up at night to feed your baby you mm-hmm. know i'm sure you have probably read that recently again and i read it again recently i thought oh wow i forgot about that nice. um so we have to focus on the rewards that we will get for doing this hard work in the next life i think if we keep our eyes on the goal which is Jannah, it then becomes easier and right. doing lots of dua you know with our actions
1: Definitely. And, you know, that, that is all very, very true. However, I think when we think in terms of just child development, for the younger Muslim, that, that doesn't resonate as much, right? Our akhirah and Jannah. So how do we get the youngsters to oh,
2: yeah.
1: buy in and, mm-hmm. and to um, want to follow our example? Hmm. Well, as a teacher, I'm sure you know this, but for the sake of, you know, our audience who, who may not, we have to make sure that we are incentivizing along the way. There are rewards that are age appropriate. You know, as you go along, what motivates and inspires a teenager is not what motivates and inspires, you know, a toddler, obviously. (laughs) Um, So we have to constantly change and and reflect on our parenting style, right? Mm -hmm. As our children grow up. But ultimately, it always comes back to this. If your child feels connected to you, And this begins at a very early age, from birth, truly. If your child feels connected to you and loved by you and um, really turns to you first before they turn to anybody else, they will grow up developing a loyalty to you that at first will be blind loyalty, right? Like your your infant has this blind loyalty to you because you're his food source, (laughs) right? He's got to love you. You're his food source. And as they develop, you become the person, they understand that you're the person that bathes them, feeds them, shelters them. So there's, you know, that added layer of loyalty. Once they're teenagers and they can, their minds can understand on more abstract levels, they develop the understanding that you want what's best for them, what's healthiest for them. And they don't need, you know, stickers and, and, so much verbal praise necessarily, (laughs) Um, although I don't know, maybe verbal praise is something that we never grow out of, Um, but uh, the point being, once again, is that they have to develop a sense of loyalty to you. When that happens, your child is less likely to lie to you, go behind your back, or disappoint you, Mm -hmm. even if at, let's say, age 11 or 12, it's simply because they don't want to offend you, Mm-hmm. They don't want to hurt your feelings. You're the the most real thing to them. They may not have that sense of taqwa yet because developmentally, they're not there. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. We can't expect 10-year-olds to necessarily understand the transcendent in the way that a you know 25-year-old does. Mm-hmm. But we're getting there. We're building the foundation for getting there. That way, once they're in college and they are let's say, or of college age, and they're struck with these philosophies and these ideas that make them question Islam, they will think twice about the person who you know, taught them these values. Did this person mean harm? Did this person mean to harm me, the person who taught me about God and about you know, Islam? At least they'll start there, right? And not start with as many sisters today you know who are turning to feminism well i inherited islam from this uh, ruthless tyrant of a mother who i was not connected to and an abusive father who you know slapped my mom around night and day Mm -hmm. what are the Mm -hmm. examples um that they're seeing right first and foremost um and unfortunately this is oftentimes what a lot of um ex-muslims articulate when you sit long enough with them you realize Okay, you grew up in a household or in an environment that you know modeled a disconnect between uh human beings it was It wasn't a very functional and healthy home to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so the point again that i'm I'm trying to make here is that um we need to hold on to our children. we need to dedicate ourselves, and so let's come full circle. Is the mother's role in the private sphere powerless and unimportant? Mm, yeah,
2: no, it's not yeah.
1: You have the hardest job, the most important job. Mm -hmm. Men are raised by women. Men get to go out into the public sphere and sustain society, sustain the ummah, sustain the community, primarily because the women are doing what they're supposed to do in the home. They're developing healthy, rational, and healthy emotional human beings who can go out into the world and make sure that it remains a harmonious and just place. Mm -hmm. Of course, this is the ideal. We're, mm.
2: we're talking about the ideal here yes yes that's right well it has been so nice to speak to you and you know have taken the time to share you know your knowledge and experience um inshallah may reward you for your good intentions and in your work inshallah please could you tell us again your website where sisters can read sure. your
1: articles sure it's my name it's noor n-o-u-r-m-g-o-d-a Okay, then great. So that's like Inshallah, I hope you have a lovely day for this. Welcome to Smart Muslimer Podcast.
2: Inshallah, if you find this podcast episode useful, please subscribe and tell your friends and family about Smart Muslima. Also, good news, I have a newsletter and that's how we can stay in touch. To subscribe, please go to smartmuslima.com. Details are also in the podcast notes. In the newsletter, I'll be sharing my book recommendations, productivity tips and online courses that I've created.
0: you